Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I am your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we are joined by Michael Holdwick. Michael is a full-time engineer and real estate investor, focuses primarily on industrial real estate investing. Now let's welcome Michael Holdwick. All right, Michael Holdwick, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to get into the deal that we're going to talk about. Before we do that, though, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And what do you want to say to the people to get us going? (laughs) Well, number one, I appreciate the opportunity, Trent. It's a real honor to be on the podcast and be able to share a little bit about my story. I guess I'll start out with just a little bit of my personal background. So I uh, grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a construction worker and my mom was a hairdresser. So we kind of Midwest values, very much hardworking. And he was a 70 or 80 hour a week guy, worked very hard at what he did. So when I uh, went to school, I actually graduated and got a degree in civil engineering. So I um, got into the architectural and engineering space, more on the design side of the business, but still in infrastructure and a consulting capacity. You know, just for the first four or five years of my career, really worked hard, really worked a lot of extra hours. And I just got to that point where I was like, there's got to be something more than this. This isn't something that I want to do until I'm 65 years old. So I think I caught the bug like a lot of people do and wanted to develop a passive income, a path to early retirement. When my wife and I were looking for our first house, that's when Zillow just kind of first came out. And I kind of blended the analytics side of the real estate with the hard asset side of it and really took to that. So I love looking for properties. I love looking for good deals. And we bought a house right around the time of the Great Recession in 2008. Actually, when we closed on our first property, it was the week that Fannie and Freddie went bankrupt. So I was like, wow, this is going great. <laughs> How's that for timing? And we lived in that house for four or five years and got a little further down the road. And we were expecting our first child. And we were in a financial position where when we found our new house, our forever house, we didn't necessarily have to sell our old one to make the down payment. So at the time, I kind of ran the numbers. And there were a lot of people that had really bad credit at that time because they had lost their jobs, their houses had been foreclosed on. In the Metro Detroit market, there were a lot of people who were renting that weren't necessarily renters, if you know what I mean. Like they had good jobs, they had income, but they needed to rent. So rents were really high at that time. And we decided to start renting out our first house. And that's how I got into real estate. That was about 10 years ago. The rest is history. (laughs) 
So you started as kind of an accidental landlord per se, keeping your primary and turning it into a rental. Did your career background, I'm sure that had something to do with you being interested in investment real estate. How did your career play into you getting into investing in real estate? Yeah, Yeah, that's a great question. And I've often said that too. I believe that to be true because I came from a world where we were kind of designing projects. So my day job is I design airports. So runways, taxiways, terminal buildings, hangar buildings, anything on an airport, I manage that project. So we design it. And then we also work with the contractor through construction and we represent our clients. So the design side of it and having a vision for something, what something can become, I think is important for value add real estate and flipping properties, especially I've done a number of flips over the years, just being able to go into something and see what it can become, I think was really developed from my professional background, but then also the coordination with contractors, making a plan, making a budget, following through on that, having tough conversations with contractors. I think that's a part of real estate that a lot of people don't particularly enjoy because they feel bullies sometimes, but that was just second nature to me. You know, I grew up in a household with my dad being a contractor. So I actually really enjoy that part of it. I still, to this day, will get my hands dirty a little bit, you know, put on the work boots and swing the hammer. I think that professional background really lended itself to the transition into, you know, some of the challenges that are presented by real estate investing. I like what you said about being able to see the vision, because I think when it comes to value add, a lot of people are looking at value add real estate that they can do some cosmetic stuff to and hope for the best. But with your background and your eye for that vision, I think it helps you with not only the flipping, like you said, but the value add real estate where you can say, hey, this place looks bad now, but we can turn this thing back into a diamond just through some hard work and coordination. So That's kind of what I was expecting for you to say, just because you're so coordinated and organized in your career that that just had to snowball into real estate investing. So I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah. And I think there's a customer service component too, because I'm client facing my job. So I'm dealing with airport administrators, public administrators. And I think when it comes to dealing with tenants and building relationships and keeping people happy and knowing how to coordinate with people who are from other professional backgrounds than maybe I am. I think that's an important component too, because I have 25 tenants right now across five commercial buildings. And we actually just got our sixth under contract recently. So that'll be three or four more tenants. So just to be able to manage that in an organized fashion and also keep all those people happy so that they renew when the lease is up is is a very important side of the business too. And do you self-manage everything right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Although I can't say I do it alone. I use a property management software. So we use Buildium. I know there's a few other ones out there, but that's the one that was kind of the right fit for our portfolio. And then I have a virtual assistant that helps me with a lot of the administration. So the work orders, following up if there's overdue payments, paying the bills, the tax bills, the utility bills, all that stuff. There's just you know, when you have five buildings, there's a lot of just invoices, accounts receivable and payable that need to happen. So she manages a lot of that stuff. And then I have some people locally for on-site duty. So like when I'm showing a property, I have a lady that helps me on a part-time basis to show units when they turn over. And then I also have a handyman for each property. So when the work orders come in, they're kind of the point person to address that service need. Very nice. So you have your team, but you're kind of the one that oversees everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm still the hub of the wheel. (laughs) So one day the vision is next step to get out of that entirely and make it even more passive than it is today. When you invest in commercial and and I guess, let me backtrack. Do you still own that house that your first house that you rented or did you dispose of it? I actually sold that. I had that house and then another one in the same market. They were both in the suburbs and they were nice houses, like four bedroom, three, four baths. They were family houses. And we were renting those to people like either expats. So in Metro Detroit, there's a lot of automotive business, as you might assume, being the Motor City. So there's a lot of Asian-based companies that have businesses set up here. And my first couple of tenants were actually Asian expats and their rent was guaranteed by their companies, which was really cool for somebody that's a first-time landlord to have that sense of security that, okay, I'm not going to miss this month's rent payment. So I had two, and then I actually developed a relationship with my um, business partner, who at that point in time was my real estate broker. And he convinced me that just based on my lifestyle and still having that W-2, that commercial would be better for me, just being a little bit more hands-off dealing with businesses instead of families. It just kind of lended itself to my time availability. And I just also think my approach to investing, I wanted to get more to triple net leases, things where I was more hands-off, even if it meant the margins were maybe a little slimmer. I was looking for more time availability and the ability to scale to where when I looked at like what I needed from a single family rental standpoint for financial freedom, I'm like, I don't want 20 or 30 houses, you know, that's 20 roofs, 20 furnaces, 20 AC units. And that just seemed like a lot to me. I was looking to get into commercial to scale. Absolutely. And so now you're in commercial pretty much exclusively minus one short-term rental. I believe the deal that we're talking about today is a commercial building. What kind of building are we talking about today? (laughs) I got to set the scene. This is actually a light industrial property that I still own. It's in Southwest Michigan. So think of the highway that connects Detroit to Chicago. If you drive that about halfway in between that, there's a community that's a little bit rural, but it has a really big industrial park. So it's got a robust kind of industrial community in addition to kind of this rural ag community. The way that we came to see this property was about five or six years ago, Michigan passed some laws to legalize both recreational. Well, first it was actually medicinal use, but then it was recreational cannabis. So if you were in the real estate industry at that time, particularly commercial and industrial, this was a big deal. It was kind of a little bit like the gold rush, if you know what I mean, where the way the laws were set up were each township, village, and city got to decide whether or not they opted in, which meant that they would legalize or approve the use within their community. So my business partner and I were tracking these opportunities. And we had a friend who was a lobbyist. He was actually working with a lot of communities to adopt their ordinances. So he was kind of our intel source. And he would tell us, well, hey, such and such community is looking to establish whatever the license was, if it was cultivation or provisioning within this zoning. So we had a tip before it was adopted, we were hunting for big deals, you know, stuff that was big time value add. Long story short, the property that ended up purchasing was not the one that I was there to look at. (laughs) Tell me more. So my business partner, he sent me an email and he said, Hey, I think we got a lead here. One that might be in the green zone is what we said. So I was like, okay, I was actually going to be in this neighborhood is, um, 
part of a family vacation. So we were going to visit my in-laws and they've got a place in this area. So I was like, well, great. I'll just slide over there. You know, it's a half hour away or whatever over the weekend and check it out. So we set up an appointment with the listing broker and met him out there. In the building that we were looking at, it was a 38,000 square foot industrial building and they used to do manufacturing in it, but the thing was a mess. It looked like it had been abandoned for about 15 years and he was just using it for like boat storage, cold storage for people that lived in the community to to keep their stuff, their junk there, you know, over the winter pretty much. But the roof was leaky. There was mold everywhere. It was going to be a nightmare, but the price was good. So we wanted to check it out. So it was a 38,000 square foot industrial building and they had it listed for 565 and it had the right zoning. This was a big time lead. If this happened, uh, this was something that we could make some serious cash on. And we had done a couple of these deals. We knew how to play the game. So I was walking through with the listing agent. I started chatting him up and he was just one of those guys that couldn't shut up. You know what I mean? He was just talk, 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 talk. We got about done with the showing and I asked him, I said, are there any other buildings that the seller owns in this area? He said, oh, yeah, the guy's name was Ken. He's like, Ken owns the building down there, the building over there, the building over there. He owned like six buildings and they were all in the green zone. (laughs) In this guy's, he's older. I think he was 80 something years old. And I think he was just starting to kind of divest his real estate portfolio, but he still operated a few businesses out of these buildings. So immediately I was interested to hear what else there was because this one was not good. (laughs) The the, the condition was terrible. And he said, yeah, there's one down the street, the white building. It's vacant. He doesn't use it for anything. He might be interested in selling that one instead of, okay, can I see it? He said, no, it's not for sale. It's not listed. You can't see it. So, okay. The showing was over and I got back to my in-laws place. I called Larry, who's my business partner now, but he was acting as my agent in this capacity. I said, I found two buildings. (laughs) And he said, two. I said, yeah, two. There's the one we looked at. And then there's one down the street. The address is this. Look it up. Tell me what it's worth. We're going to make an offer on both. (laughs) That day, we wrote two offers, one for the building we walked through and one for the building we had never seen, but just drove past. The one we had never seen was a little bit smaller and it was in better condition. It's a 9,800 square foot light industrial building. So it's just a kit building, a pre-engineered building, a perfect box with a little bit of office coming off the side of it and two overhead doors. But I looked in the window and it it looked a lot better condition wise. So we ended up writing two offers and he accepted both. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big win. We were excited about that. But then the diligence started, right? We needed to confirm With the municipality, as it turns out, they actually had a guy in their planning department that had all the addresses of all the properties that were eligible for their ordinance and all that. And as it turns out, the original building that I looked at was like five feet too close to a school. So it didn't qualify, even though it had the right zoning. They had like radiuses set up around so where you could only be 500 feet within a school or something like that. So we actually canceled the purchase agreement on the one that was listed and for sale and focused on the one that was off market. (laughs) And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time. 
and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. When it comes to actually financing something like this, obviously you didn't go through with the first one, the one that was in worse shape, worse condition. How did you go about financing the purchase on the 9,800 square foot building? Yeah, good question. So that was the beauty of the find that we had. We got it under contract for 280 and at $9,600 a square foot, we were less than $30 a square foot. So my business partner and I actually just went 50-50 cash on this one. So that was pretty straightforward. We were, it was just at a time where we had happened to be saving some money from some of our other real estate income and had cash on hand. So we started just kind of pointing the arrow towards closing. And it got a little crazy from there because the guy that was selling it was old, stubborn, and really poor health. <laughs> Recipe for disaster. Yeah. So two weeks before closing, we get a call from the listing agent and he said that Ken was going into open heart surgery. <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 no. Let's move up the closing. We need to close this deal because I don't know what's going to happen to Ken during open heart surgery. And we do not want to lose this deal because this thing is worth at least 2x, if not 3x, if we can get it closed. Yeah, absolutely. So did you move up closing? No, he wouldn't. So we were rolling the dice. (laughs) He made it through. He made it through. And about two weeks later, we set up closing. We drove two hours, properties, two hours from our house, signed the papers and met his wife. And it's just an old fashioned closing with a couple in their eighties. And everybody was smiles and handshakes. And we walked out of that with a property that we knew we were going to be able to make some money on. That's awesome. Now that you own it, let's talk about the tenants that went in there because we know the plan. We know the idea behind why you went to this market and why you wanted to look here. How did that end up? So this is where the deal gets crazy. We listed it the day after we closed on it. So we had the marketing package all together. Larry ran the comps. He's an agent. He's done a lot of these types of transactions. He knows the markets. He knows the values. And I said, well, what are we going to list it at? And he said, based on comps and where the market's at, I think it's 750. Okay. We bought it for 280, 750. Sounds great to me. (laughs) We started getting inquiries and I don't know how much experience you have with this type of asset, but not everybody's squeaky clean, if you know what I mean. You deal with some real interesting characters. And we actually got a couple offers in the first week. I was actually on vacation with my family on Labor Day. And Larry called me and he said, hey, we got an offer. I said, what's it for? He said, $750. I was like, okay, what are we talking terms? Because these are cash-only deals. This isn't something that you can finance. So that's part of the difficulty, actually, of unloading them. Either you need to be offering terms or you're selling to somebody that's very well liquidated because not just everybody has 750K cash for something that needs a full build out. I mean, this building is a shell. 
it's a $200,000 building on a piece of property that has the right zoning. So that's why it's worth what it's worth. So the guy that made the offer was actually from Yemen, of all places, living in South Florida, real estate developer from Yemen. And he had a local partner, somebody that was based in Michigan that was going to kind of be the lead for the property, you know, build it out and stand up the facility. The way we structured the deal was they needed to put $100,000 down. They were going to pay us $9,600 a month for a 12-month lease. And then they had an option to buy at the 12-month mark. And if not, everything they paid, the deposit and the rent was completely non-refundable. It was ours. And did they start the build out and start like they had, I guess, control of the property during those 12 months. And if they, for some reason, decided not to buy then they had to vacate, right? Yeah. Then they had to vacate. So it was pretty much a 12 month lease with an option to buy the 50,000 deposit was, you could apply that to the purchase price, but the $9,600 a month that was rent, you couldn't apply that to the purchase. So they signed up and probably three or four months after identifying the property, they posted 50K plus month and a half of first month's rent plus a month and a half for security deposit. So we had like $75,000 in the bank. And then they end up going through and purchasing it? (laughs) Not all the way. There's a lot of work that you need to do to get these properties permitted. So just having the property in your possession is one thing, but the state has a, a licensing process with a lot of background checks, a lot of, it's a lot of red tape. You got to give them your tax returns, your criminal background, everything. And then the locals do as well. So you need to meet all the local ordinance requirements. And about three or four months in, they were starting to hit some of the milestones. They were working with the architect to you know design the space. We had a bunch of kind of levers built into the lease to keep them on track. And then they started going sideways. They started being non-responsive. And actually, they only got through about nine months of rent payments and just ghost gone, <laughs> never to be heard of again. We wrote them a letter that we were retaking over possession. We changed the locks and the building was ours. And we were faced with re-tenanting the building. By this point in time, the market for cannabis had completely changed in Michigan. And it didn't have nearly the value that it once had. So we put it back on the market and actually ended up finding somebody that does food production. So he's an Indian guy and he wholesales and imports spices directly from India, blends them inside our building and then packages labeled and sells them on Amazon actually as organic blended spices. So he has a really good business. He was operating the business in Vegas and he is, so he brought it back. It's a little closer to home. He doesn't pay us $9,600 a month, unfortunately. He's only at four, but nonetheless, $4,000 a month for a building we paid $280 for. And we ended up getting, I don't know, $120,000 out of the other group. So we almost paid for half of our initial purchase price. So it ended up working out and we have a five year lease with the food producer. So we're still pretty happy about it. It's a triple net lease. So we do almost nothing for it. They pay the taxes, they pay the maintenance, they pay the utilities. We've got them set up on automatic payment and the rent hits on the first of the month and we're happy. (laughs) Do you think, I mean, obviously this business has a fixed term lease and after that fixed term, if he wants to renew, will you just continue doing what you're doing and operating it as you're operating it? Or do you ever have plans to either A, 1031 it, or B, 
try to get back into that cannabis space with a new tenant? Yeah, that's a good question. The tenant that we have in there now installed a lot of equipment. He built this thing out and you'd be really surprised how intricate some of the blending and food production equipment is that he's installed. So we think there's good security long-term in the business that he operates. But if he ever were to transition his building somewhere else, say for instance, he needed a bigger facility and at 9,600, he's almost capped out because he's got a lot of pallets of wholesale supply and a lot of room for office and equipment. So if he ever were to move on, it's just one of those buildings that's like so universal that it's it's one of those buildings that almost any company could use. I could see a plumbing company going in there. I could see somebody, general contractor going in there. All kinds of small manufacturing companies could use it. So that's one of the reasons that we really love industrial, light industrial, because if you can buy these buildings from anywhere to 30 to $50 a square foot, you got to keep in mind that the cost to build one of these now is $150, $200 a square foot. So you're buying it at a fraction of what a business could build new at. There's a lot of value to just be captured there and offering attractive lease rates to a company who would otherwise have to pay two or three times to build and finance their own facility. So this is just one of those properties that I feel like would never be vacant under any scenario. You always have the option to sell it. And I think there'd be plenty of people that would want to take a look at that, you know, given the certain situations with building versus buying existing buildings. Yeah. Or even just selling it to an investor. You know, if we wanted to sell the lease as is at an eight or a 10 cap, if it makes 50 grand a year, you're talking about a five to $600,000 property right there. So double what we paid for it. So there's a lot of exit strategies, which is another reason that I really like commercial investing because you can rent them, you can sell them to the operator, you can sell them to investors. There's a lot of different ways that you can go once you rent stabilize that value add property and get a pro forma put together. You could always just sell them on a cap rate basis because there's people with 1031 money out there looking for these properties left and right, especially ones that are as hands off as this one is. Absolutely. Do you and your business partner ever consider or ever think about pulling money out of that building and using it with a refinance or something like that? Yeah, this property, we don't have a line of credit on. It's definitely something that we could do in the future. But some of the other buildings that I own, I do have lines of credit on. So that's exactly my playbook. I want to pay these properties down and get them as close to free and clear as I can. Maybe I'm old school in that way. But for me, like financial freedom one day looks like no, no, no management, just mailbox money. So that's the vision. But I think a cool part of commercial is if you have these bigger properties that have good equity in them, you can set up a line of credit on the backside of it. And then if you do have a good value add opportunity that comes up that needs cash terms, you've got a checkbook and you can write against the equity of that property. I can go into a deal. I can close next week. And there's a huge advantage when you're in a value add situation. If it's an estate situation, some kind of fire sale, I love the ability to be able to get cash quick and just leverage the equity that you have in your property. Absolutely. I know you said you just got another property (laughs) under contract. We won't dive into that one today, but where do you see you and your business partner going in 2024 as we get to the new year? What are your plans for the next 12 to 18 months? 
Yeah, I think for us, it's really about scaling this. So it's just not our properties and our money anymore. For the last decade, I've been just super focused on building my own portfolio, buying five commercial buildings and buying and selling value add to 1031 to get that next property. But I've kind of earned a PhD in real estate from all the podcasts I've listened to and all the deals that I've done, the crazy situations that I've put myself into. Just mention one of them, but there's four or five other stories crazier than that one. You just learn a lot. So you want to be able to use those lessons to buy more real estate. So I want to partner with investors, people that are interested in the value add commercial space and set up syndications, set up partnerships, begin to educate people on the benefits of this asset class and and try to scale it that way and not just kind of focus on buying properties with our own money. Because as you know, eventually your own money runs out, you know, <laughs> especially when you keep a lot of equity in property, it's tough to scale quickly. So the next step for me is really kind of getting out from underneath the rock I've been living in for the last 10 years, focused on family, W-2 income and building that business and building my own real estate portfolio and really just getting my message out there. So that's why it's so cool to have this opportunity today to kind of talk to people all over the country, all over the world about value-add real estate. Absolutely. I love it. I'm excited to see where you go. Michael, (laughs) is there any place that people can connect with you or learn more about you that you would like them to visit? Yeah, absolutely. There's a few places. The first thing is we started getting active on social media to share some of our story and share some of our education this year. So we're most active on Instagram. You can find us at, at Protein Commercial. That's the name of Larry and I's business. You can also get to me directly at Mike at ProteinCommercial.com. And then personally, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So I'd uh, appreciate a connection there, a follow on Instagram. And then I think just the ask is, if you're interested in learning more about value-add commercial real estate, hunting, big returns. You know, these are not standard returns listed with brokerage houses. These are one-off deals where we're really trying to get 20, 30, sometimes 100% returns on our investments. I really would appreciate you reaching out to me through any of those channels. I'd love to just connect and share experiences and tell you a little bit more about the opportunities that we have. Awesome. And we'll definitely be sure to link all of those different channels and avenues in the show notes down below. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a story that had definitely a lot of twists and turns into it, (laughs) but seems to be working out well now. So I appreciate your time and sharing your story. Thanks so much, Trent. Really appreciate the opportunity today. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.